A lot of people, when they first think about stocks, tend to lock in on the share price. Maybe this was you, or maybe this is a friend of yours. They'll say, well, Alphabet is at $102 per share. That's expensive. By contrast, the same mentality when looking at penny stocks can get a lot more excited. Some penny stock they're seeing promoted by someone, perhaps some ne'er-do-well, and they'll think, wow, the stock is at a dollar and two cents, not 102 like Alphabet, one dollar two cents. They'll think that's the one to buy, the one at a dollar two, because hey, if it just reaches two dollars, you double your money. Well, from the earliest days of the Motley Fool, we've tried to get people focused not on the price per share of the company, but rather on the market cap of the company. The price per share of a stock tells you almost nothing. It's the price to buy one share of the stock. But how many shares does the company have outstanding? You know, in math, we multiply two multiple cans together, but the price per share is only one multiple can. If you don't know the other one, you can't do any meaningful math or figure out much of the world around you. Fools with a capital F know that you need to know the shares outstanding and then multiply that by the price per share. And now you know the actual full value of the company, its full price tag, its market capitalization, market cap. Well, to teach this lesson inexorably and unforgettably, we invented a game. That's what I do. The date was August 9th, 2017. We've been playing every quarter since. You're playing too. You know this. Now into the sixth year, you've been playing along all the way through, I hope. And it's that time of the year again. That time of the quarter again. Ten new stocks, two guest stars, both returning champions. Actually, three guest stars because you two. Only on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder, David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. It is the penultimate Wednesday of the quarter. Therefore, it is the Market Cap Game Show. Can't wait to share this with you. Bring back two guest stars, play along with you in the hour or so ahead. Before we start, I want to say just a few things. The first is, next week is Mailbag. Our email address is rbi at fool.com. Any reactions to share to this month's podcasts, including today's Market Cap Game Show? I led the whole month off with my pet peeves, Volume 7. We did a review of Palooza of two five-stock samplers, five stocks indistinguishable from Magic, and five stocks with a tailwind blow. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us at RBI Podcast, and we hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and listen in each and every week. I want to thank Mike Steele for constructive criticism to improve the market cap game show. Mike, you tweeted out to me a quarter ago, it takes too long to get into the game. You talk too much up front. Get the game going already. And Mike, as I told you one quarter ago, I agree. I hope even new listeners have by now grasped our rules here. You're guessing the market capitalization. The value of 10 different companies will feature this week. You score yourself for correctly agreeing with or correctly disagreeing with my celebrity contestants. If you're new, listen and play along. You'll get it. Now, one final note. Brian Stoffel and Yasser El Shami last quarter tied 5-5. Five to five. Offline before the show, one of them said, you know, it would be really weird if we tied again. And the other replied, it would be really weird if we didn't. 
tie again. And even though those two statements directly contradict each other, they're both right. I love paired contradictions. You know, in a past Great Quotes episode, I pointed to another such pair. There's an old line we can all appreciate. I bet you've heard this before. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing well. Right? Yeah, sure. Heck yeah. But then there's the very opposite statement by G.K. Chesterton. If a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. And I can again say here, sure, in some contexts, that's also right. The lines say the opposite. They're both right. We shall see whether we tie this time or not. And I promise simply that it'll be weird no matter what. Okay, let's get started with returning champions Brian Stoffel and Yasser El Shami. Brian Stoffel is a full contributor. He works primarily on write-ups for Motley Fool Stock Advisor and appears on Motley Fool Live two to three times per week. Yasser El Shami is an investment analyst at the Motley Fool, working on several services, including Trendspotter, NextGen Supercycle, and the Backstage Portfolio. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks, David. Good to be here, David. I talked about this a little bit at the start, but you're not allowed to tie this time unless if you do... We'll have extra fun, and there will be no tie. You guys both have been briefed about that. You know that and are ready. Let's get started with company number one. By lot, I have selected the first call to be made by Brian Stoffel. Brian, here we go. Company number one. Brian, are you a morning person or a night owl? I am definitely a morning person. It's. I mean, even before I fully asked the question, you were already jumping on being a morning. Does that mean that while most morning people may rise at six, you're up at four thirty? Oh yes, it definitely does. And it's an interesting dynamic because my my wife is a night owl. And uh that that is also true in my household, although we reverse uh the gender roles of your household. And uh I think it's good to have one of each, frankly, because with kids, and I know we've had kids, young and older, but young kids especially, you want to have coverage most of the time. Brian, do you sleep well at night? I sleep well most nights, but there is the occasional night where I find myself up um, without anything to do and a little bored. In my own case, and this isn't even relevant to the company we're about to talk about, but in my own case, I use an app off my Apple Watch to kind of score my sleep each night. I think I'm addicted to having scoring systems all around me in too many areas of my life, sleep being one of them, Brian. But while most people may not use an app to give a three-digit number to score their sleep each night, it's called Sleep Watch. I use it every day. Many others measure the quality of their mattress. And that itself has become a cultural phenomenon. I think a lot of us might know the phrase sleep number. Well, these days, sleep number gives itself to a public company. The ticker symbol is S-N-B-R. Brian, have you ever used one of these mattresses? I have not, although I've got to admit, I'm interested when I see the commercials for them. Yeah, because it's like a number one to 100, and you can dial 37 for you and 78 for her, and everybody sleeps soundly, and it's just one mattress. And so it's all about your sleep number. Again, in an age addicted to scoring systems, 
an historian was pointing out recently to me that about 150 years ago, no one really was scoring anything just about. There was no sense of big data or any kind of likes or anything going on. And we're all surrounded by scoring systems today, including underneath us at night for some of us. Brian Stoffel, what is the market cap range you would like to accord Sleep Number Corporation, ticker symbol SNBR? So this is not a company I am familiar with, but I'm going to imagine that it's probably a smaller one than I might think, even though they've got enough money to get Dak Prescott on their commercials during football games. I'm going to say it's between $2.8 billion and $4.3 billion. All right, $2.8 billion to $4.3 billion. Yasser, is this a stock you've ever researched or looked at, or a, maybe a product that you use? I have not looked at it, uh, although I did think about it as a product I could potentially use. Uh, we all could use a good night of sleep, for sure, but I imagine in my case, I'm not going to have that no matter what mattress I get, because <laughs> I have two young kids. So, uh, so yeah, um, I'm going to... I'm going to go with outside the range. All right. You're going with outside the range. Now, again, listeners at home, you're playing right along with us. You either say inside the range or outside the range. Yasser's going outside the range of $2.8 billion to $4.3 billion, And he's right. Indeed, friends, I myself was surprised how low the market cap has gone for this well-known consumer-branded public company that has had some remarkable Recent volatility. So Sleep Numbers market cap is $962.27 million as of market open, Tuesday, September 20th. So that is indeed outside Brian's range. Brian, I liked your answer. It felt comfortable and kind of what I thought of Sleep Number. And the truth is, as of about a year ago, that would have been a good call. But the stock has dropped from 150 down to 40 in the last year or so. So Sleep Number has had a number done on it. I do want to point out over the 10-year run, this stock is, well, it's a double from where it was five years ago, from 20 to 40, but it had one of those COVID swoons in March of 2020. It went from 60 to below 20 in one month, and then it went from below 20 to over 140 for that glorious year of something like summer 2020 to summer 2021, but not so good since. You know, one of the things, guys, we've talked about sometimes in the past is when you think a company has a higher market cap than it actually does, that can sometimes add a ticker to your watch list, right? Because, Brian, if you thought this company, you know, maybe a $3 billion company, and by the way, it was not too long ago, and it's one third that, maybe worth a look. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it's not my kind of investment, but I think that that thought recognition, that pattern recognition holds true. And Brian, why does this one not really fit kind of the Stoffel folio? I don't see a ton of optionality for sleep number. You know, I don't see them getting into cushions for cars or bring this to your sporting game and your butt won't be sore. <laughs> well said. Well, I'm not going to say anybody's butt is sore because it's only one to nothing, but Yasser one, Brian nothing. Let's move on to company number two. Yasser, did you ever follow the Foolish Four or Dogs of the Dow? Are you aware of that strategy? Um, I'm aware of the strategy, although I have not followed it closely. 
It first appeared in a book in the 1980s by Michael O'Higgins called Beating the Dow. And whether or not he invented it, it's not clear to me. We tweaked it a little bit and wrote about it as the foolish four in our first book, The Motley Fool Investment Guide. And the age-old practice is basically to look at the Dow Jones Industrials, find the ones that have performed the worst over the last year or three or five, however you want to do it, then check the dividend yields to look for higher dividend yields and worse performing stocks, and then maybe to buy that, or at least consider buying that stock, because these, after all, as I sometimes say, are the unsinkable Molly Browns of American commerce, presumably if they're Dow Jones Industrials, and if they've gotten beaten up and have attractive dividend yields, well, that might be a good list to beat the market. And Michael O'Higgins showed in his book, and we updated the data in our initial one, that sure enough, this has been a pretty good rinse and repeat way to beat the market. Now, the reason we eventually went away from it, well, one reason, guys, you would know right away, as would any regular listener of this podcast, back then we were much shorter term in our thinking. And the idea of a new set of stocks to buy each year, sell out last year's, every year, that does a number on your tax bills and on your ability to compound at good rates. So, not really fans of the so-called Foolish Four back in the day or the Dow Dogs anymore, but I've always kind of still liked the idea, and I'm glad we got to talk about it a little bit and share it out because I think it has a good underlying philosophy behind it. When you think of the Dow Jones Industrials, Yasser, without trying to quiz you, because I don't think I do too well these days on which is in the 30 and which aren't, can you think of any really, really big medical companies that might come to mind, specifically ones that have a single syllable. A single syllable? As a name <laughs> that starts with the letter M. Merck. Good one. <laughs> you must be a professional. You nailed it. Yep, ticker symbol MRK, Merck and Company. Been at Dow Jones Industrial for a long time. More importantly, though, Yasser, we're concerned with the market cap today and the market cap range that you'd like to estimate for Merck and Company. Again, ticker symbol MRK. Wonderful. So, um, like Brian before, this is not the kind of company that I would have probably looked at during my work, but um, Merck is a, a familiar household name. Of, big pharmaceutical company and uh, definitely one of those, um, you know, uh, classic pharmaceutical companies on the Dow, if you will. So I'm going to give Brian a fairly generous range here. And I'm going to say Merck's market cap is somewhere between $220 billion to $260 billion. $220 to $260 billion. A $40 billion range to work with, Brian, although in percentage terms, not necessarily as generous as it sounds, about a 20% or so parameter there. Brian Stoffel, listeners at home, Merck, $220 billion to $260 billion inside that range or outside that range? I'm going to say outside that range. And sure enough, you're right. And we're tied one to one. Not outside that range by much, though. Wow, this one was close, Yasser. The market cap for Merck as trading opened yesterday, Tuesday, 
September 20th, 217.06 billion. So, yeah, yeah, it's outside the range of 220 oh to 260. God. I think I need a half. I deserve a half a point for this one. <laughs> the 2022 discount was the only reason I did that. <laughs> oh, my God. Merck, by the way, has been lifting its dividend about 10% a year or so over the last five years. The yield on the stock today, 3.2% for those yield hunters and those scoring at home. Guys, is this a stock that either of you owns? Nope. I don't. And, and why not? I mean, this is a staple of American business. It is a company doing good work in this world, uh, one that a lot of us grew up hearing about, even if it was a little opaque. So I'm actually restricted from owning any pharmaceutical or food or and beverage companies because my wife works at the FDA. Uh, so, But it, Merck has definitely would have definitely been one of those companies that I would have taken a look at um, for uh, for at least my retirement portfolio, uh, for sure. But unfortunately, I can't. Well, that's really interesting, Yasser. I either didn't know that or had forgotten that. And between that and then Motley Fool restrictions that we have as employees, where we if we mention a stock, for example, sleep number on a podcast, we can't trade in advance of that or after that by a few days in either direction. Yasser, are you able to buy any stocks? I am, yes. Good, uh, good. Just not, not in those categories. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, like with the way, like, you know, with the way we work at The Fool and we have all these restrictions, sometimes I just have to wait. Uh, it could be a wait of a week and it could be a few months, but eventually I, I get my hands on those stocks. Patience, patience. All right, let's move on to company number three. We've got Brian one, Yasser one. Brian, do you make any concerted effort to stay fit? Yes. And and what form does that take, or forms? Um, I go running about once every four days, and I lift weights. I used to do a little bit more, but that that pretty much eats up whatever time I might have available. That's pretty impressive. And are you systematic with that four days? Do you circle it on your counter? Do you start to feel an itch if you haven't run in five days? How does that play? I definitely feel an itch, but I don't circle it on my calendar. I. I have, I, you know, what the big thing is, is I start to feel like I I need to if I haven't done it in some time. Wonderful. Well, you've always looked trim to me, Brian, whether it was back in the day at Full HQ when you came to work for a while full time or as an older and yet still not that old gentleman approaching middle age with a little bit of a gray beard that you are scratching as we speak. Uh you're in great shape and good for you. I'm curious, do you power your workouts with a proprietary clinically proven formula at any point? This is so funny because I, I usually don't, but I will admit that I I <laughs> aim to get my best run of the year in always at the turkey trot. Like, so there's a turkey trot I always sign up for and I cheat because when I usually run, I'll do it in a fasted state. But when the turkey trot comes, I'll have a Snickers bar, and I will have a Celsius drink to power me. It does come in several delicious, sparkling, and non-carbonated flavors. Do you have a favorite flavor of choice for the turkey trot? I like the berry. And I I have tried some of these. I like the orange. I haven't tried the berry. Have you tried the orange, and you like the berry more? Yes. I'm going to shift to berry next time. Thank you, Brian Stoffel. But I guess more to the point, the ticker symbol for Celsius Holdings is C-E-L-H. This is a stock. I never formally recommended this myself, but there are a number of fool analysts and 
Stock pickers who are fans of this company have been. And man, talk about a stock that has lifted off in the last couple of years. It's had its volatility like all the rest, but this looks like a, a home run over the last few years. More to the point, though, Brian Stoffel, what is the market cap range you'd like to accord Celsius Holdings, ticker symbol CELH? We're going to go with $6.1 billion to $8.1 billion. $6.1 billion to $8.1 billion. I like how you're rocking the point ones. That could be helpful or detrimental to Yasser. It's really hard to know how he's reacting to those right now. Yasser, $6.1 to $8.1 billion. On the face of it, a tight range of only $2 billion and yet a little bit more generous than you were giving Brian for your Merck, if we're scoring percentages, not points. Yasser, listeners at home, $6.1 to $8.1 billion. Is Celsius Holdings inside or outside that range? I'm going to go with outside the range. It is indeed inside Brian's range. So Yasser, Brian scores that point. You said outside, and boy, were you close to being right, because the market cap for Celsius Holdings is $8.09 billion. <laughs> And it's almost like Brian Stovall keeps up with these things and studies market well, caps you know what? in the early hours of the, the, the wee hours of the morn. I think, you know, the stars are aligned against me today. I mean, this question, it's off $100 million. The previous question was like, I don't know, three, <laughs> 3 million or something like that. It's just crazy. Come on. Come it, it's on. not this even not 100 fair. million. It's 10 million. It's 10 million. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Good math. You slipped that past me yourself, Yasser. But Brian, you're absolutely right. Oh my golly, $10 million. Listeners at home, again, if you said inside the range, give yourself a plus one. Brian, it seems like you have familiarity with this company. You're also a consumer of the product at least once a year. Is this a stock you own or have followed closely? Because my golly, was that market cap close? Followed closely, yes, just because I think it's it's interesting because it's a it's a consumer facing brand and its only moat is its brand, um, so that's why I'm not invested in it. But I like it, and it is taking market share like crazy. And I'm not really following it, although I do use it from time to time. I haven't followed the stock. For those who haven't, you should know along with me that this stock was. Around $5 a share as 2020 began. Today, the stock is trading at about $100 a share. We're talking about a 20-bagger over the last two and a half years. And again, many of my favorite stocks aren't up that much. They're more like down 40% over the last year or two. So this is a volatile stock, Celsius, topping at just over 100 at the end of last year, bottoming this year closer to 40 but again, back up to 102. Uh, it's interesting, Brian, to think that this company, whose product is, I would say, maybe less well-known than Sleep Number, maybe it's just Sleep Number's been around longer, but the market cap, eight times Sleep Number's market cap. Any final thoughts about Celsius before we proceed to company number four? I'm very glad that you took the market caps at the beginning of the day, because if right now Celsius is down even 1%, I think I would have lost that. <laughs> it's an excellent yes, you would point. Have. And, yes, you would have. <laughs> and uh, the market not strong Tuesday, at least as we're recording, so probably it was. But we're doing start of market trading on Tuesday, as mentioned earlier. Okay, let's move it on to company number four. How are you doing at home? If you're doing really well, you have three points. All right, Yasser, 
Now, as an American, and I grew up in this country, I've spent my entire life in this country, basically 56 years or so, it does seem to me that there is somewhat of a coastal bias felt by some in the U.S. I think the thinking goes that there's more business, there's more, I don't know, savvy or more restaurant choices or whatever it is on the coasts, maybe because of geography, maybe because more people just kind of go to the coasts of other places and hang there and the beach and all this, as opposed to the Midwest, or some might say middle America, Brian Stoffel, I'm not asking you this question, but I'm quite conscious that you are a Wisconsin man. And I think a lot of us would say that is the middle of America. Yes, sir. There does seem to be some coastal bias felt by some in the U.S., is there an Egyptian equivalent? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, we kind of have this idea of Cairo versus the rest. And Cairo being, of course, the capital city. It's a huge, a huge uh, metropolis of over almost 25, uh, 25 million people. So mm -hmm. roughly one out of every four or five Egyptians resides in greater Cairo. Um, and there's definitely concentration of everything from colleges to businesses and government offices in that uh, city. And uh, not so much in, you know, if you travel even a hundred miles outside. Now, I know you're not saying this. You didn't actually say this. You're not saying that there's not charm outside Cairo. There aren't great, amazing people and things happening in Egypt outside Cairo. You're not saying that. No, absolutely not. In fact, if I were to retire in Egypt in the future at some point, I probably would prefer to reside somewhere in the less densely populated uh, cities uh, of Egypt, uh, either on the Red Sea or the Mediterranean Sea. Um, that would be my pick, not, not the hustle and bustle of Cairo. That sounds amazing, and I still haven't been to Egypt, and thank you for sharing that, Yasser. Well, I guess the reason I'm asking about this, and I know Brian Stoffel will not only weigh in with his final guest, but I'd love to hear his viewpoint in a minute, but the reason I'm asking is because we're talking about a company whose name, and this is not one I'm familiar with, this is not a company that I've ever picked or researched. The name of the company is Mid-America Apartment Communities, and the ticker symbol is MAA. It's a quick reminder, how do I find companies? Well, I randomize for each market cap game show. I randomize from our full database. We have a list of the companies that we favor and cover the most. And I take the top 500 of those. I think of them as the full 500. And I randomize for that group. And I happen to have come upon Mid-America Apartment Communities. It's a publicly traded REIT. That's a real estate investment trust. Mid-America is based in Memphis, Tennessee, it invests in apartments in the southeastern and southwestern United States. Before I ask you for your market cap range, Yasser, have you ever heard of or looked at Mid-America Apartment Communities? I did a while back. Um, I was considering, you know, I was looking at uh, various REITs um, and Middle America Apartments definitely came up as part of the high quality REIT companies uh, worthy of consideration. Excellent. So that means you have more clue about Mid-America apartment communities than I do. I love my Middle America. I just don't know my real estate investment trusts that well. But forget about me, Yasser. Let me turn to you now and ask you, what is your market cap range you'll give to Mid-America apartment communities, ticker symbol MAA? 
Sure. Uh, so I would give a market cap range of $12.8 billion to $17.8 billion. $12.8 billion to $17.8 billion. I noticed you rocking the 0.8 in the same way that on the previous question, Brian rocked the 0.1. Is this a little bit of psychological warfare I'm starting to pick up on? You will never know. <laughs> All right, players at home, Brian Stoffel. Yasser has stated $12.8 billion to $17.8 billion for this company, which owns, well, as of December a year or two ago, 300 apartment communities containing over 100,000 apartment units, the largest owner of apartments in the United States, the seventh largest apartment property manager in the United States, Brian Stoffel, players at home, inside Yasser's range, of 12.8 to 17.8 or outside that range. I feel like he's playing mind games with me because my guess was going to be much lower, but he gave me such a generous range that I'm going to say inside. And it is outside that range. But once again, friends, and this is why Brian and Yasser are invited onto the show and many of my past guests, these people are professionals. They're really good at this. I wouldn't have known a thing about Mid-America Apartment Communities Market Cap, but it is $19.06 billion. So outside the range, but again, not by much. Only about a billion dollars outside the range. Giving you a taste of your 19- own medicine, Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Brian, what state were you born in? I was born in Wisconsin. And you identify as a Wisconsinite? Very much so. It annoys my wife quite a bit, but I do. When I use the phrase mid-America, what do you think of? You know, I usually think of more Plains states, like less nice. populated. Because I live near Milwaukee. It's a, it's a major metropolitan area. So I usually think of farmland, more like where I went to college. And farmland, and I've driven across some of America and certainly seen some of it, not all of it. It's beautiful. Especially during the summer. Especially during the summer. It's also really important. Um, We're finding, especially given some of the world events in 2022, the importance of food and making sure that we're well cared for, or if possible, that we can grow as much of it as we can ourselves. There are a lot of people who love to buy local and eat local. Are you one such? I try to as much as I can. But that may or may not include Celsius Holdings drinks once a year, which probably aren't produced in Milwaukee. Yeah. And when you talk about beverages in Wisconsin, it's just beer or water, and that's about it. All right. Well, let's keep the game moving. Friends, it is Brian 2, Yasser 2. We're not working toward a 5 to 5 tie, are we? All right. Let's go to company number 5. Brian, if you had to toss out a couple of, let's say, your highest conviction winners for the long term, one, two, or three stocks that you really believe in that are presumably in your portfolio with stronger positions, you may not think that they're going to skyrocket in the next year, but you have high conviction that this company will win over the only term that counts, the long term. Throw us a few stock picks. I mean, the top three for me would be Amazon, Mercado Libre, and Axon Enterprise. And how about, for the fun of it, a line or two, elevator pitching each one? Amazon, with their fulfillment network plus AWS, that's hard to beat. Mercado Libre, it's much the same thing in South America, except instead of AWS, it's their payment platform, Mercado Pago. And Axon is the closest thing to a functional monopoly in my portfolio. 
And I like all three of those companies. I think of each of them as a rule breaker unto itself. I certainly love the idea that this forms some of the bedrock of yours and your family's portfolios. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Brian. I will share out that in the full 500, one of the very highest rated stocks of all is our next company. The ticker symbol is MDB. The company is MongoDB. Is this also in the Stofflefolio? It most definitely is. Aha. Uh-huh. And, you know, I have a lot of the companies that we cover in my family portfolios, one or another of them. And yet, I don't always know the market cap, even of the stocks that I hold. It'll be interesting to hear your range right now, Brian, for MongoDB, ticker symbol MDB. My range is going to be $14.7 billion to $15.3 billion. to 15.3, by far the narrowest range presented on this edition of the Market Cap Game Show. Anyway, thus far, Yasser, players at home, 14.7 billion to 15.3 billion. Yasser, is MongoDB inside or outside Brian's range? Well, speaking of mind games, this is an awfully tight range right here. And and, and I see what you're trying to do, Brian. but, you know, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm going to go with outside the range. And it is indeed outside the range, though as I'm starting to become accustomed, not far outside another great stated range. The market cap as of the opening of Tuesday's trading, September 20th for MongoDB was $16.1 billion. Therefore, if you said outside a tight 14.7 to 15.3 range, you give yourself a plus one, players at home. And we're going to give you a plus one, Yasser, for that. How confident were you as you answered outside the range, Yasser? I was about 80% confident. I knew that it was higher. I I didn't realize how perilously close it was to Brian's range, but I, I knew it was higher. And it should be pointed out with the market not having a very strong day yesterday. Of course, we're taping this before we even know how the market closed on Tuesday. It might have ended up in Brian's range. But as things lie, friends, and as the rules have stated, uh, this time it's outside. So, Yasser, we're going to give you a plus one. You are at a three to two lead. Yasser, I somehow forced a couple of stock picks out of Brian Stoffel. Could I force a couple out of you using the same considerations? Of course, uh, happy to. So I would say that the one of the companies that I have the highest conviction in, and one that you know I don't even spend a lot of time thinking about, which is a good a good trade for a stock with high conviction, is the Trade Desk. It's a company that completely reinvented how digital advertisement are um, you know effectively traded and uh, between buyers and sellers, and it has completely overcome or Maybe I shouldn't say completely, but it has definitely uh, overcome the big challenges of Apple and Alphabet uh, kind of cracking down on cookies and other uh, kind of tracking uh, software, you know, that advertisers love to have. And so uh, a lot of advertisers are flocking towards the trade desk. That's, That's one stock I like. Another stock would be Confluent. Uh, ticker symbol CFLT, and it's one of my highest conviction stocks. Um, I believe that data is the future, um, and as you started the show, 
uh, David, you said we score everything, we have we keep numbers and everything, and Confluent helps keep data moving within an enterprise. It's effectively a data streaming platform, and uh, and I believe that the way you know they have they have their uh, kind of uh, proprietary software uh, uh, Apache Kafka mm-hmm. um, that they have built, and uh, customers love it, and uh, I see a much brighter future ahead. Well, thank you for that. And, you know, we don't do five stock samplers anymore on this podcast, but you guys just provided five pretty good stocks that I know a lot of our listeners either already own in some cases, or I'm sure with interest, will begin to research further. Well, we're at halftime right now, guys. And I say, let's let's open up our halftime follies. I have a simple halftime question for you both. After all, the purpose of this podcast is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. That's the purpose of The Motley Fool. And one of the ways we make the world happier is occasionally we share out our best streaming entertainment ideas. We live in the age of capital S streaming. Arguably, there are too many shows that one could stream at this point and even more coming. And then there's YouTube, which aren't even professionally produced in many cases streaming shows. And yet, They get a lot of views, too. We are living in a video-centric age, fellas. I think you know that. But I thought I would ask, let me turn to Brian first. What's a a recent streaming show that has given you delight and you think listeners, if they haven't already watched, would enjoy? I think any listener who might have come of age in the 90s and is a sports fan would enjoy uh, The Last Dance, which chronicles the Bulls, their dynasty, building up, falling apart, being from Milwaukee. It was huge in my upbringing because we always lost to them. Um, but it's it's really fascinating. And it's also really fascinating to go back and realize that Michael Jordan retired and went and played baseball for 18 months. <laughs> it is incredible to think back on it. I think he went to the Chicago White Sox, staying in town. And I remember he was in minor league ball. And did he ever get an official major league at bat? I can't remember, Brian. No, he no, did not. No, he didn't. And in fact, uh, he wouldn't have been in double A, according to the to the documentary. The reason he started in double A was because it was the only level that had the facilities to handle the media circus. It probably would have <laughs> been better for him to start down in single A or rookie ball. Fantastic. Well, I've watched a portion of The Last Dance. Like many shows, I'm halfway through and then got distracted by 14 other streaming shows. But I I, th- I know it's a wonderfully produced show. And I'm even a, a Tar Heel, and so I should be a Michael Jordan fan, except I showed up at North Carolina as a freshman the year after he left early for the NBA. So I never really got to cheer on Michael, and I always view him more as a bull than a Tar Heel, but I know much of the world sees it differently. Anyway, great show. Yasser, let me turn to you before we go back to the game show. Yasser, what's a streaming show you would recommend to give delight to Rule Breaker Investing listeners? Well, I'm a big fan of everything offbeat, and uh, recently I caught up on season three of uh, a show called Barry. It's on HBO Max. And uh, and it's, you know, if you want to see the story of a veteran who turned into an assassin and then tried to quit being an assassin in order to become a, a, an actor in L.A., that's the show for you. <laughs> and, and I'm wondering, Yasser, how did you hear about Barry? I'm always, I'm half curious, not just the shows we watch, but how we hear about them or keep up. You know, um, I actually don't necessarily breathe a lot on, on, on shows or go browsing the internet looking mm-hmm. for show recommendations. Usually what I do is I would browse through uh, my favorite uh, streaming apps and I, I would 
try and read the description for the show. Yeah. And if I feel that there's something there, I, I'll give it a try. Well, Barry, which is the Bill Hader vehicle, I guess it's three seasons now. I haven't watched it. I have heard good things. I, I'm a big internet movie database fan, and 8.4 out of 10 from 80,000 voters is enough for me to know that is quality and it probably a show I need to be watching. So thank you for that, Yasser. Thank you, Brian. Okay, without further ado, halftime's over. Let's go to company number six. So while we're getting back to the serious stuff of the game show that we're playing, Yasser, I find myself still wanting to play another game, a metagame, a side game, if you will, a game of word association. Would you, would you play this game with me briefly? I can try. So I will share with you a word or a phrase, and you will simply say back the first or second thing that comes to mind as you hear these things. Let's go rapid fire here. Most beloved soccer or football team? AS Roma. Thank you for that. Queen Elizabeth? The second. Not particularly interesting, but it doesn't have to be. It's the word association game. That's what came to mind. It makes sense. I got two more for you. Number three. You ready? Sure. Plastics. Um, recycle. And my last one, you were supposed to say The Graduate, by the way. That was the Dustin Hoffman film. Where he gets pulled aside <laughs> yes, by yeah. the avuncular friend of his dad at the party. He's like, I got one word for you, kid. You ready? Dustin Hoffman comes out with him and he says, yeah, what? Plastics. And that's going to be the future, which in a lot of ways it has been. But my last one for you, Yasser, as we get closer to our company now, my last word association game word for you is lasers. Lasers. Um, weapons? Well, they can take many forms. And, well, especially when I think about lightsabers, which kind of looks like a standing laser coming out of its pommel. Yeah, they can be weapons. And they are lots of different things besides. Coherent Corp also comes to mind for some people when they hear lasers. This is a company, a leader, recently in a merger with 26. One of its competitors, it's now a larger merged company. Company took on the name Coherent Corp officially recently, ticker symbol C-O-H-R. Yasser, you had just ended our last company description with one of your favorite companies, Confluent. And I was thinking about how similar the word coherent seems to be to Confluent. Have you ever looked into Coherent? I have not. Um, I will admit that. <laughs> well, that always makes the market cap game show more interesting. So with that said, let me turn right back to Yasser. We're not playing word association game anymore. We're playing give us your best guess at the market cap range of this company. Again, it's Coherent Corp, ticker symbol C-O-H-R. Yasser, your range, please. Sure. I would give a range of 14.5 to $16.5 billion. 14.5 to 16.5 billion players at home. Brian Stoffel, is it inside that range or outside that range? I'm going to say outside the range. And sure enough, it is outside. In fact, this is the only real miss we've had in terms of the right sizing for a company thus far. Yasser, I have to admit, I haven't been following this company very carefully myself anymore. And had I been, I would know that the market cap was $5.43 billion, which is what the market cap was as of yesterday for Coherent. And therefore, if you answered outside that range, players at home, and Yasser as well, you would have gotten a plus one. 
Yeah, you know, I had expected it to be like less than 50% of um, Arista Networks, which works in a similar business. And, uh, and But I thought that it would be on the bigger side because it's of the merger. But you know what? I was way off. You were this time, and I easily could have been myself. But more importantly, Brian did say outside that range. And so I think, friends, we're back to a tie. Brian, three. Yasser, three. Let's move on to company number seven. Brian Stoffel, what are a couple of, in your mind, typical reasons that companies change their names? Branding. I, I guess the two, they're related. One is branding. The other is a change in focus. So if something bad happened, I remember there was an airline that changed its name when it had an accident. But the other could be branding because like Axon, the company I just talked about, used to be Taser. And they changed their focus and became Axon, focus on body cameras. Great example. And can you think of any other big, higher profile renamings, far bigger, let's go with, than Taser in recent market history? I mean, the two that come to mind are Alphabet and Meta. And those are really, really big. The one, without giving away the market cap here, the one I'm thinking of, not quite as large as those companies. And because I never really followed Square that carefully, I was certainly familiar with the technology. I was certainly a user. Never did recommend a winning stock a lot of the time, a volatile stock. But Square, do we all know this? Listener at home, wherever you are across this fair planet, did you know? You probably did. Square renamed itself recently to Block. Yeah, just Block. Block Inc. B-L-O-C-K. So in the same way Facebook went to Meta Square became Block. Brian, is this a stock that you own? It is not a stock that I've owned, and it's been a while since I've looked at it. Which is, again, what we want from our experts. Occasionally, for them to be maybe asleep at the switch, here and there makes the game more fun. You guys have been so good with the market cap ranges. I'm wondering, Brian, whether you can be really good with Block Inc. What is the market cap for Block Inc.? And get the ticker symbol here, friends. SQ. I'm the last I checked, it was down a ton from where it had been. It's been a while since then, but I'm going to guess big range here 45 billion to 70 billion. That is a big range. It'll be interesting to see whether it's inside or outside that range. Listeners at home, prepare your answer. I know you're always making the call before I read off the official result. You're playing along with us. Yasser Brian said 45 billion to 70 billion inside or outside that range. Well, I know that it's definitely outside the range. Uh, Brian was absolutely right that the stock had been absolutely pummeled over the past year or so. And uh, I believe that has taken it below this range. And you are indeed correct. Although not by much. Once again, the market cap for Block, which has retained a square-like ticker symbol of SQ, the market cap is $40.09 billion. So $40 billion just outside the 45 to 70 generous range that Brian offered. And so by saying outside, Yasser, you've taken a 4 to 3 lead. Players at home, if you said outside, give yourself a plus 1. And yes, this stock has been very volatile. I mean, hugely to the upside through the middle of last decade, the stock made a meteoric rise from the nearly single digits now looking backward from these prices around 2016. It almost touched 300 
Last year, it is down to 62 as we're talking. So it's lost about four-fifths of its value in about one year. Brian, does that make you bullish? You know, I have a really hard time understanding what the moat of a company like Square is. And I really like your focus on moat. I know your work and some of your frameworks and how you think, Brian. Um, Many who've watched you on Motley Fool Live will expect that from you. Many who are hearing you for the first time might not realize that this is how you roll. What do you mean by moat exactly, and why is that so important for you? Well, it's something I learned when I invested in Whole Foods is that you can have a great company with a great product that does a lot of good for the world. But if it can be copied, just like you can go to a farmer and ask them to plant organic food and say you'll sell it in your grocery store, then you can be undercut on price. All the value goes to the world, which is a good thing, but it doesn't go to the company or its investors. Understood. And so um, it was that really kind of the stock that changed your mind? Do you, do you still feel burnt by Whole Foods? Do you shop at Whole Foods? I, I will. We don't have one terribly close to us. I, I don't feel burned by Whole Foods because Whole Foods was just doing its thing. It was fulfilling its mission. I'm all for that. Um, more than anything, I think I've made a ton of money off of that lesson because it's made me avoid stocks that don't have a moat. If you can be copied, it probably will be copied eventually. Well said. And there are some things you can't copy, like always thinking of Amazon. We have Jeff Bezos. You don't. That's one of our favorite moat examples, probably at The Fool. And it's about humanity, human capital, as opposed to any number you might find on the balance sheet or income statement. Well, that's brief grandstanding on my part. But thank you, Brian, for sharing that viewpoint. And it is four to three right now. Yasser, you have taken a one point lead. I need to turn back to you, sir, as we move to stock number eight. Don't worry, we're going to tie again. (laughs) (laughs) It's starting to feel more and more that way. Yasser, what are a couple of reasons that companies have multiple ticker symbols? Multiple ticker symbols. So I know this is um, common with uh, SPACs, for example, where you have um, two classes of stocks with warrants and um, and and sort of the regular. Um, but it's also common for companies that have two or more classes of shares to uh, trade with different um, ticker symbols. So, for example, Zillow Group can trade uh, under the ticker symbol Z or ZG, depending on which class of stock you own. Yeah, and you know, it's funny to me. First of all, I kind of wish that that hadn't happened because it causes um, online sites that feature the stock market, for example, fool.com comes to mind, to have to reflect the same company, basically, with two different ticker symbols and usually two different market caps as well, which can be slightly confusing. But even just having to repeat, it's almost like as a baseball fan looking down a box score and seeing that you have both the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Cubs playing against, I don't know, let's go with the Milwaukee Brewers. It's just confusing. Why do we have the same thing repeated twice? It causes all kinds of problems with market data. And I really wish founders and I love you, founders. I really wish you didn't create your own separate class of stock with a separate ticker symbol. And I'm not even going to talk about specs, but I am glad, Yasser, that you mentioned Zillow Group because it turns out that is company number eight. Now, I'm going to use for our purposes here, and the market caps are different, although only slightly. We're going to use ZG for this one, Zillow Group. 
I think a lot of us recognize Zillow as the online site that gives prices to our neighbors' houses or that vacation house you dream of one day. And that price may or may not be accurate. It's the Zestimate. In general, I'm a fan of Zestimates. People in the real estate industry, especially realtors, often aren't. Although, ironically, they are huge fans often of Zillow because Zillow butters its bread mainly by people who are realtors advertising for their local zip codes. And it's generally a win-win Zillow with some escapades as a buyer of real estate and then trying to sell real estate. That didn't work out very well in the last few years. Very disappointing from a standpoint of optionality. The company certainly having been repriced. Here I am talking more about it. It's one of those companies I own, which is why I guess I can be voluble in the topic. But forget about my view of Zillow Group or what I might think about it. I'm much more interested right now, Yasser, in your market cap range for Zillow Group, ticker symbol ZG. Right. Um, right. Not Z. ZG. Got it. That's right. And, um, and this makes a huge <laughs> amount of difference. And that's with my tongue in cheek. Oh, my. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's go with a tight range here. Let's, um, let's say $6.9 to $7.9 billion. to $7.9 billion. I try not to tilt anybody, especially my listeners or the person who's about to make make the guess, but I'm going to say that's that's not a bad range at all. I mean, this is fairly consistent with where we are in the show that it seems like Yasser and Brian, and I I hasten to add, they have no idea what companies I'm going to pick, and they are not looking at any browsers or anything. They're in soundproof, video-proof chambers that we've sequestered them in in their own homes somehow and so they don't know what's coming and yet you guys are pretty good at this and i'm going to say that was pretty good again brian stoffel players at home yasser said 6.9 to 7.9 billion i noticed the repetition again of the single decimal point a little bit of a shot across the bow i think brian stoffel but brian inside or outside that range i'm gonna go outside the range And you've done well to do so because, once again, it is outside the range, but only barely of an already very impressively tight range. So Zillow Group's market cap, $8.55 billion. If you'd looked at just ticker symbol Z, it's more like $8.01. But both of those are outside a very tight range of $6.9 to $7.9 billion. Players at home, if you said outside the range, give yourself a plus one. I'm going to give a plus one to my friend Brian Stoffel. My friends, it's four to four. <laughs> I told you we're going to tie again. You know, David, there's an episode of Ted Lasso where the team ties its first like eight games of the second season, and then they finally lose and they have a party. And they said, what's the party for? And he said, we didn't tie for the first time. Even <laughs> if we don't tie and I lose, I still think I'm going to throw a party. <laughs> well, you are Same both here. very worthy competitors. Yeah. And while we may just have spoiled season two of Ted Lasso, Shame on you, listeners, if you haven't already gotten through season three. So uh, giddy up. All right, let's move on to our final two companies. It's four to four. I'm going to turn next to Brian and ask you kind of an offbeat question. It doesn't fit with the rest of the conversation today. Brian, have you ever had a particularly good or particularly bad experience buying a car? No, I can't say I have. I've only bought one car ever, and uh, it was pretty straightforward. New or used? It was new, and it's still the car I own today. I've had it for 10 years. And did you do research ahead of time? Did you take their first offer? Did you walk away angrily and come back a week later? What was the approach? No, we. I went. I did my research. I knew what a fair price was, went in, 
uh, we had the we were lucky enough to have the cash saved up to pay for it, and uh, we 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 left that day with the car. Honestly, about an hour and a half later. I love it. And, you know, there is something about that Midwestern charm. These things are cliches and stereotypes. They're probably not fully true. But when you say honestly, I'm just picturing you, an honest man, going into a Midwestern car dealership, having an honest conversation. You had you said luckily, but there's not luck there. You had the cash because you'd saved it. And I know you live below your means, and you're very good at that. And honestly, you came by an honest car in an honest place, and it sounds like it's a happy ending, and this lightly relates to the company we're talking about, but though not directly, because it sounds like you didn't buy that by auction. Did not. You didn't go on an online site and start looking around and poking around and trying to figure out whether you would buy that used car on Copart.com. Copart is a global provider of online vehicle auction and remarketing services. It's not as much of a consumer brand per se. A lot of automotive resellers work with Copart. It is a very impressive long-standing company. It is an S&P 500 company today, not to give away the market caps. And people in Dallas, Texas may know the company since it's locally headquartered there. Brian, have you ever looked at Copart? I have not. Well, I'm sorry to hear that as I know you have your market beater name, but but you missed one there because Copart really has been a spectacular performer, and I can think of it dearly as pretty sure I picked it for Motley Fool Stock Advisor many years ago. I don't own it myself, though. It's a reminder so many of us at the Motley Fool are often picking more stocks than we ourselves can even own, having picked hundreds of stocks over the years. How many times do I say, man, I wish I'd actually bought that one that I picked? But if you've been listening to the Motley Fool or following us for any meaningful period of time, you'll realize that how we perform for you with our stock picks for many of us is much more important than how our own portfolios do. So I do love that we picked Copart, ticker symbol CPRT, for Stock Advisor members, even though I've never had the benefit of owning it myself. But more importantly, let's talk about the market cap of Copart. And again, Brian, this is your final chance to state a range for this episode of the Market Cap Game Show. Brian, what's your market cap range for Copart? So it's going to be $25.1 billion to $38.7 billion. $25.1 to, did you say 38.7? That's correct. And are you allowing such a generous range because you find yourself less sure than some of the other ranges you've specified? Or are you playing games with our listeners? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> All right, Yasser, players at home. Brian has said 25.1 to 38.7 billion for Copart, ticker symbol CPRT. Yasser, inside or outside that range? Yeah, that's a tough one, David. I'm going to go with inside the range. And indeed it is. $26.52 billion is the market cap of Copart. So it was inside the range. Yasser, you have taken a 5-4 to four lead, creating a showdown around company number 10. But before we go there, Yes, sir. Have you had a particularly good or bad experience ever buying a vehicle? So I would say I've bought and sold um, cars at least four times so far. Um, And my first experience um, trading in a car at a dealership convinced me that I just never want to do this again. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, everything about the used car dealership 
is makes for a horrible experience from the haggling to the long waits to you know uh just being surprised with last minute details you didn't think about um all of it makes for a pretty abysmal experience which is why i have been uh buying and selling my cars online since well, I hear you. And Copart, of course, does a huge business there. Again, a lot of this is just facing the dealers themselves, but 80% of the company's revenue comes from the service fees just collected for the use of its online auction platform. Does it sound like eBay? It's kind of the same business, but aimed at the automotive industry. So an interesting, long-performing winning stock I'm seeing here 10 years ago. The stock was around 15. Today, it's at 109. Ain't bad for a pretty quiet, sleepy company that most people can't name or certainly give the ticker symbol for, but now all of us know the market cap. Yep, $26.52 billion. All right, let's move to the dramatic conclusion. And we're not going to have a tie this episode. So, Brian, you can either guess wrong now and just not put us through the tiebreaker or guess right and force our hand at our first ever Rule Breaker Investing Market Cap Game Show tiebreaker which one do you think you're going to do, Brian, before we start? Well, I mean, history is any indication it's going to be a tie. <laughs> <laughs> and we were you're reviewing also- this before you came on the show here. You've done this. This is your fourth time now. And the previous three scores were? Five to five, five to five, and five to five. And here we go. Yasser five, Brian four. Turning now to Yasser. Yasser, before you came to The Fool, and you've been with us for a couple of years, and it's been a delight to work with you, even though I'm not as active or regular as I once was, I'm a fool for life, as you well know, co-chairman of our company. Love what you're doing and what we're all doing to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. But Yasser, before you came to The Fool, did you ever listen to this podcast? Oh, yeah, all the time. In fact, it's one of the main reasons I decided to apply for a job at The Motley Fool, is listening to the podcast. I'm delighted to know that. Did, did you listen to the early days of the, of the Market Cap game show? I Yes. I mean, I would say I've started listening to the RBI podcasts around 2015, 2016. Um, and yeah, so I, I've, I've heard my fair share. Um, do you remember that Matt Argusinger was... My first guess, and back then it wasn't a head-to-head game. It was just me quizzing Matt those first early episodes. Yes, I do. Do you remember that there was an iconic company that I would randomize, but it would keep coming back, and each time, somehow, Matt would get it wrong, and he'd always underguess it. Do you remember that? You know, that one is not coming to mind. I know the one that tripped Emily a lot, and that was Etsy. And she continued... Matt yeah. Argusinger's tradition, because that is sure enough, the company, and I did happen to randomize this one out of the full 500 for this show. This was not intentional. Even the ordering was randomized. So for us to close this episode of the Market Cap Game Show, hailing back to our earliest origins at this moment of high drama is very random and very special indeed. It's worth noting that when I tied Brian Feroldi the second time, Etsy was the tiebreaker. Perfect. <laughs> I, I, I have a hard time remembering all of our past game shows. And I'm not even a professional game show host. Think of people who do this every day. And people are like, do you remember that thing three or four, 17 years ago? And I had forgotten. But I'm so glad you said that, Brian. And now let me turn to Yasser and ask you, Yasser, 
what is your range of the market cap for Etsy, ticker symbol E-T-S-Y? I will go with 23 to $26 billion. So just sticking with some round numbers this time, keeping it simple. Yes. I'm not going to get in the way of drama. I know when to sit back, get away from the mic, and just let the game take over. 23 to $26 billion. Brian Stoffel, listeners at home, inside or outside that range? I'm going to go outside. <laughs> You've done it, Brian. You've done it. You four got for it. Four. In fact, it wasn't even close because the actual market cap for Etsy is $14.7 billion. And so the tradition of overestimating, thinking that Etsy's much <laughs> bigger than it actually is, has persisted to the present day. Let's be very clear, fellow fools. Etsy was worth a lot more until recently. It's one of those many stocks as a rule breaker that had a great run throughout much of the last decade. And yet, in the last year, the stock has dropped from its all-time high right at the end of last year at 300 it's down closer to 100 as we speak. Its market cap, as I mentioned, $14.72 billion, which is outside the range of 23 to 26. And so you guys have done it. You forced my hand. Happened again. All right. Well, this is a first. And I'm really glad in a way that it happened because it had to, although it didn't have to at all. And it lets me feature the mailbag entry of a concerned listener who reached out after last quarter's show and said, guys, there's a better way to end this than just say five to five. And his name is Sam Stevens. And I shared this on the mailbag episode earlier this year, but I'm going to reshare it because I don't expect everybody remembers all my mailbags. So Sam Stevens, who, by the way, was a former Motley Fool intern and obviously a longtime fool and a listener of the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast had this to say. He said, hi, David, here's a tiebreaker idea for the Market Cap Game Show. An 11th stock is presented to ensure no advantage is given to either player by going first or second. Both players must simultaneously and secretly write down a range of market caps. The contestants then reveal their written answers one after another, but the correct answer is, of course, not revealed until after. Now, if one contestant provided a correct range, the other didn't, well, of course, that contestant wins. And you can include yourself all listeners everywhere at home in this very same exercise. So you too, dear listener, are also writing down your market cap range. If one of you is right, the others are wrong, that person, of course, wins. If everyone's right, if both in this case are correct, well, the tighter range wins, right? Sam's smart. I mean, he was a Motley Fool intern. He's grown up now. Hey, Sam. And if neither, if no one's correct, well, the range with the closest bound to the correct answer will win. And Sam concluded, by the way, of his mailbag item earlier this year, you can actually play the whole game this way. But uh, he said, I like it better as a tiebreaker. I do too. We don't want to make this too complex. Anyway, Sam Stevens, thank you for leaning in. This is known starting today as the Stevens sudden death rule. So it is being invoked for the first time right here, right now. Gentlemen, players at home, are we all ready? I'm ready. As they say, sometimes, kind of like this in the raceways, gentlemen, start your market caps. Okay. This company 
is one of those cloud-based businesses that people loved for a while and seemingly now hate or have hated recently. This is one, my brother, Tom Gardner, CEO at The Motley Fool, I believe he had recently a chance to interview, talk a little bit with the brass of this company. He came away impressed. I'll say that. This is not a stock I've recommended. I don't know it very well. But a lot of people these days, at least those who follow the stock market, might have heard the name Cloudflare. And if they're really good, they would know the ticker symbol is N-E-T. Cloudflare is our 11th Stevens Sudden Death Rule Company. Rick Engdahl, cue the fake Jeopardy waiting music for about 10 seconds so all players everywhere can think of their market cap range for Cloudflare, ticker symbol N-E-T. All right. Now, I do want to mention that we are now 3.08 p.m. Eastern on September 20th. So this is a live market cap as we record because I wasn't expecting to have to do an 11th company, and I don't know what Cloudflare's market cap was at the start of trading today. So this one is about as live as we get on this one-day delayed podcast. By the way, a lot of podcasts, and I'm sometimes on other people's podcasts, and I love doing that. And I'll say, yeah, yeah, I'll be in your podcast. And then they're like, great. And we do the podcast, and they're like, yeah, this will be on in seven weeks. And I'm always like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> wait, seven weeks? I mean, everything will have changed by then. So I take pride, Rick Engdahl, my producer, too humble ever to say this, but we turn this baby around in 24 hours every single week, eighth year and counting. So Rick's really good. So that's why I say this is about as live as this show can ever get. I'm going to ask Brian Stoffel first to provide his range of market cap for Cloudflare. My range, if it comes in there, is nineteen billion to thirty billion. All right, nineteen billion to thirty billion. Listeners at home, I know you're holding up your piece of paper or shouting out your range as we speak. And I turn to Yasser El Shami. Yasser, your range of market cap for Cloudflare ticker symbol NET. My range for Cloudflare is thirty-five to forty-five billion. If this is $32.5 billion, I'm going to throw my headset. (laughs) All right. Well, you are both worthy contestants. And even better than that, you are noble men. And that's, that's what I want to do on this earth. I want to hang out with people who are noble of all genders, all generations, all cultures. I love it. I thank you both for your work. And I'm here to announce that we have our first ever tiebreaker winner. And it is Brian Stoffel, who guessed a wider, slightly wider range, but more importantly, a lower range. Because Cloudflare, having lost a lot of value from, I don't know, like 180 last year, is down to about 61 as we speak. And that puts its market cap at 20.73 billion dollars inside Brian's 19 to 30 range, short of Yasser's range. Congratulations both to Yasser and to Brian, our champion, this show. And everybody who played along at home, presumably some of which got an even better score than our contestants. Yes, that happens too. Brian, thank you so much. One quick line from you as champion. I don't think it counts as champion if you've tied every time, but I'll take it. And honorable in victory and noble in defeat. In fact, some people 
love to cheer for the guy who just came up short. We see ourselves in that person sometimes, Yasser. I think it's fair to call you a rookie of the year of this game. This is which number market cap game show for you? Uh, I believe this is my third or fourth. Um, yeah, yeah, third we'll probably. Go with that. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's third. And and, and I uh, yeah, one one tied two, I guess, and lost on the sudden death. Um, how about a line of encouragement to the losers i include myself everywhere well keep your chin up it's okay to lose you win some you lose some and uh the journey is more important than the destination and i've had a lot of fun playing this game uh with you david of course but also with brian and tim byers before before brian you bet Uh, so i look forward to coming back in the hopefully not too distant future wonderful thank you yasser you were an excellent returning champion and returning tire and uh and you performed wonderfully i want to thank both of my talented contestants and of course all three of us Along with my pal, Rick, thank you for playing along at home. It's a delight to do this four times a year. I said at the top to the guys offline before we started, it's only four times a year. Therefore, by definition, it's special because there's scarcity to these times together. And I have so much fun. So thank you again to Yasser, to Brian, and to you at home for playing the Market Cap Game Show. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rulebreaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.